people need to trust that what you're saying is is true, that you have their interests in mind, that you've thought about them, that you actually do care about them and not just your message. All of those things will actually, in the long term, is what makes communication work. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. Today, my guest is Chris Hewitt. Chris is a communications coach, mentor, and speaker with over 30 years' experience in both the public and private sector, and he has great leadership technical and creative skills. He is an award-winning spoken word artist and two-time TEDx presenter. As well as this, he has led a fighter jet squadron, negotiated billion-dollar contracts and performed his very own poetry on stages around the world. He describes himself as someone who helps people speak with the precision of a fighter pilot and the passion of a poet. Chris lives here in Canberra and works as a communications coach for Understood Consulting Services and a speaker coach for TEDx Canberra. When not working in either of these roles, Chris is a keynote speaker and online presenter, having spoken at many conferences, including our very own GovComs Festival when he was joined with his colleagues from TEDx Canberra for a great session, I might add, one of many at the GovComs Festival. And we look forward to... Uh, r- getting Chris to join us once again uh, later in the year when it happens all again. But he joins me in the studio today. Chris, welcome to GovComs. Thank you, David. Speaking. I was only thinking about speaking today. Uh, There's a book, and I can't quite remember what it is. Some journalist from the New York Times is talking about, you know, the, the future impact and talking about machines and the impact of technology and the and really the big takeaway out of it is that ultimately it's the human the people side that will become the most valued and really speaking and being able to express yourself is at the core of that human value that you can create. So where do you see sort of speaking in terms of its um, importance to the way people conduct themselves and have successful careers? I think it's essential. I, I think that speaking and, and communicating the work that I do with people is is actually the it's the tool that gets you to the goal that you want to achieve. Um, leadership is is communication. It doesn't matter how good your plans or your ideas or your visions are. If you can't share them with other people and motivate them to act on them, then they're not of very much use at all. I think that um, evolution, in to, to take a bit of a, t- uh, <laughs> a strange tack, but evolution happens very slowly. And tens of thousands of years, maybe 100,000 years ago, human beings first started making sounds in front of each other and communicating that way. And so we've evolved to have face-to-face conversations. The internet is 40 years old. So we haven't evolved to, to take the full advantage of those digital tools that we have. We still are face-to-face communicators. As human beings, we still feel the most comfortable when we're listening to someone straight in front of us and we can see their entire body and, and hear their voice. So 
the human part of communication, the speaking, the standing up in front of people, the having conversations is essential and it's going to be essential for tens of more thousands of years. It's an interesting point you you raise because I, I do a lot of work and have done for many years with uh, uh, Eddie Jones, who's the coach of the England yep. rugby union team. And it was funny that he said to me the other day, after all these years that we've been working together, he's, we stopped mid-conversation the other day and he said, you know what, I've worked, finally worked it out. He said it's communication. That's what his job is, whether it's communicating with the players, whether it's communicating with his staff, whether it's with his boss, whether it's with sponsors, the media. His effectiveness as a leader is really boiled down to how well he can articulate and motivate people to do as he would like them to do to achieve his outcome. But we don't often think about it that way, do we? Communication is not seen as something, as a perhaps that, that core of everything you know, in terms of high performance and, 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 and effectiveness. Yes, yeah, I think, I think that we tend to ignore it. It's something that we've been doing since we could first make sounds when we were little kids. We're never really taught how to communicate, particularly we're not taught how to listen. Uh, at school we might join a debating team or, or have to give presentations. We might practice that. We might write essays. But having conversations, we're never really taught to do that. So we just assume, oh, that's just... That's just what we do. It's it's not the important part. The important part is coming up with a strategy, or you know, coming up with what's our vision and mission statement, or what it, what is our what is our plan. That's the important part of leadership or work. And in, in a sporting analogy, it might be what's our plays, what's our mm. what's our game plan, what's the the different things we're going to do to try and outmaneuver the opposition. And we forget the point that it's it's nothing unless you can get people to, to join it to together implement yeah. yeah so in terms of that what do you have any theories as to why we've never taken the time to become more dedicated to excellence in the craft of effective communication i i think that in in the past the hierarchical more sort of structured organizations that we've grown up in and, and worked in uh, in those organisations, writing memos and 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 reports and and briefs, those sorts of things were the were the known accepted way of of communicating, and I think that was that worked in that sort of structure. But now the things like digital tools and and transformation and and the learning and growing that we've been do- doing, like as a society, has just brought us back to that human face to face conversation and I think that uh, we've been a little bit slow to catch back up to this is the way we always used to do it before we organized and structured our industries and societies and we need to go back to the the ways we did it when we were just a group of people sitting around a fireplace. Do you you think you can succeed in a career without being a good communicator? I, I think you can but it's in limited careers and you need to work with a team of people who might be good at interpreting the work you do or turning it into something that can be communicated to others. So you don't need to have it all yourself. But if you want to really have influence on your environment and, and you know, how your life evolves, then you need to have some communication skills. And I, I think it's a, a broader consideration than just your career. And I think that it's something that we can all, all of us can improve on. And I know myself, I'm learning all the time and, and trying to become a better communicator myself. So I think it is something we can work on. You could possibly, uh, communication skills are 
more necessary in certain roles than they are in other roles. But to actually have an influence on your environment, you need to be able to communicate. Can anyone be a good communicator? Anyone can improve their communication skills. There are some fundamental things that uh, affect the way that we communicate that might limit our ability to to communicate. But I think everybody can improve their communication with the the, um, situation that they they are in. So, and I think it's important also to consider that a good communicator is not necessarily a, a defined one thing. There is good communication in certain circumstances and you can always become more effective in those circumstances to make your communication have the, the effect you want. So I don't know whether it's necessary to think of good and, and not good communicators. Yeah, and I suppose that's the differentiation point is you might be a beautiful writer but not so articulate. Right. You might be very articulate but you can't really put two words together. So how do you get better at the whole package? How do you sort of bring it all together so is that you, you can lift your general standard of communication across all uh, realms? Well, I, I use a framework uh, based on my, my fighter pilot. My, my background is in the Air Force as being a fighter pilot. But I encourage people to communicate from the cockpit. And it is a, it's an acronym that I use, a little okay. bit cheesy. This is good. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> but uh, it, and it comes in this sequence. So the, the C is, is be conscious of yourself. So to become a better communicator, you need to know yourself better for individuals and also for organisations. If you don't know what you stand for and what you can do and what you can achieve, then you're not going to be able to move other people. So being conscious is the first part. Okay, so let's let's just unpack that a little bit more. So in terms of being conscious, so that also could perhaps, is clarity important at that conscious point? So is it you do know who you are, what you stand for, what you're trying to achieve before you step forward and Without that certainty, without that clarity, you're really probably not, you know, you, your communication is going to be muddled because you're not clear about what it is that you you, you want to say or you, what you want to write or what you want to present. Yes. Yeah. Or you may be blocked off from other people. You don't listen to them because you you think you know everything you, or you you have a certain impression of yourself that's not realistic in yeah, in right. relation to other people. Okay. So in terms of that, how can people become, you know, what advice do you give p- to people to be more conscious, to be more aware and, and, and clearer about who they are and their organisation and, and what they want to present? Being, uh, taking time okay. to reflect. Yep. So actually spending some time thinking about what it is you value, what, what are your principles, uh, what do you bring that you can contribute to the world, uh, what do you know and then what do you not know? What's, what are the, th- the things that you might need other people to help you understand? Mm. That can be a sort of a one-off thing, but I, I encourage people to come back to it regularly. But it's also an ongoing process. So as you then communicate with other people, you get in conversations, then what do you learn about yourself as well as other people when you're in those conversations so that you continually are improving your understanding of yourself and your place in the world? How, what advice do you give to people around sort of continuing to, to reflect and to, to continue to sort of build out and to be quite deliberate about that reflection so as that they improve that? Is that something they should be doing every day, every week, every month? How often should people sort of be thinking about that? Because I'm sort of sitting here thinking, God, I don't think I've thought about that for a while. I, I, uh, so my practice that I try and get into, and I'll do it after we've finished our conversation, okay. is I try and spend five to 15 minutes thinking about who I'm going to be talking to next or what I'm going to do next and then afterwards spending five to 15 minutes about what I learned out of that process and, and what, you know, I may have learned about myself. And I try and do that for every 
every wow. interview, conversation, meeting. Uh, don't always achieve it, but that's that's my goal. I would encourage people to to put some time no less than once a week. So some people I, I've um, been working with, they've decided to put aside a couple of hours on Friday afternoon or maybe the first couple of hours on Monday morning just to think about what happened in this last week. What did I learn about other people when I communicated with them? And I'll remember that next time I communicate with them. Or what did I learn about myself? Mm. And uh, I think doing it on at least a weekly basis gives you that time to just reflect, absorb, improve, and then be able to implement that in your next interactions with other people. I know you wouldn't have, you know, you couldn't pull out a number, but really, when I think about it, how many people would do that? Like zero, zero point, you know, very, very few people. I know I don't. Yeah. Well, For I, example, and it's sort of, I feel like a bit of a fool actually sitting here thinking oh, that that is reasonable practice. That That is good. That's best practice, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be, I'm, I'm sure you're not suggesting people, you know, you sit back and, you know, you know, pour through every last thing that was said or did I say this or did I... But really just to be mindful enough to stop yourself to go, okay, what did I learn? What did I learn and how can I improve? That seems to me to be really good advice. And this is, this is getting back to a question you asked earlier about why don't we spend some time thinking about this. Mm. I'm, I'm on a bit of a campaign but I'm only one person and I, <laughs> and I try and do it with each person I, I meet. But I say never make a meeting 60 minutes or 30 minutes. Always make your meetings 20 minutes or, or 45. Oh. And, and if, if every workplace implemented that so that you had 15 minutes after one meeting before the next meeting starts, that would make meetings so much more effective. And it also gives you that opportunity to, okay, what did I learn from that meeting? Right, I'll take some notes. Now I can forget about it. Instead of walking late to your next meeting, still worrying about the last meeting you're in and then, and then trying to contribute to this next meeting. Mm. So those, those sorts of practices that leaders I think should be implementing that actually gives people the opportunity to spend some time reflecting, it's not just on communication, it's actually being more effective in the work you're doing so that you can reflect and then prepare and this is another fighter pilot thing that I, I was taught by the Air Force is that you never did anything unless you briefed first with everybody to make sure that you knew what you were going to do. And then when you went and did your mission, you came back and you debriefed. Yeah. And that just that practice yeah. of continually learning is something that can be of great benefit. Okay. Um, let's go back to the cockpit. We're <laughs> conscious. Um, so we're, what's O? What's O stand for? Open to your audience. Okay. So when Take me through that. So... Uh, in any time you need to communicate, I recommend that the first thing you do is think about your audience. Often we go straight to what's our message? <laughs> what's the outcome I'm looking to achieve? What do I need to get across to this person? But if you don't think about your audience first, then it's more likely than not than the way you communicate that is not going to have the impact that you want it to have. <laughs> so thinking about who it is you're going to be talking to, if you know them specifically, remember, you know, picture them, put them in your mind. Think about the last time you spoke to them, what, what have they been doing since then? What are the things that you can raise that connect you and get you closer and, and in rapport quicker before you actually get to the content? Mm. If you're talking to a large audience or if you're trying to reach a large audience uh, across in some communication strategy across the, the world or across the country, for example, as I'm sure that you do, you do that mm. audience, that stakeholder, yeah. um, empathy mapping, that, that sort of activity should be the first thing that you do because you then carry that in your mind through everything else you do. 
And with that, because really ultimately communication is the reception piece of it really, isn't it? Is, is that, that's where the, the impact is. That's, if it, happens, yeah. that's right. If it, if it is received, you may have thought that you've delivered this perfectly, but if it's not received as the way it was intended, um, then you really, the result, you know, you're ineffective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, open, got that. So CO, cockpit, C, where are we now? Considered in your message. Okay. So this is now, you, you've made sure that you know where, where you are and you come from a strong position. You've thought about your audience. Now this is about bringing your message. So you craft what your message is and find that overlap with the audience, the way that they think, speak, what's important to them, and you're finding that intersection of your message and the audience. Okay. How important is that that, that, that be, um, you know, emotion? Where, where does emotion ro- play as, as, as you're thinking through your audience, understanding who you are and what you want to say, but then obviously delivering that particular message? When emotion is involved in every moment of all of our lives. Our brains are, are wired so that there is an emotional impact all the time. And no matter how structured or process-oriented we think we are, there's always emotion involved in our decisions. Mm-hmm. So being conscious of making an emotional connection is essential in communication. Mm-hmm. Um, emotion is the, it's the bridge that your message crosses. Mm-hmm. And that, those emotions could be as simple as trust, so you're developing that rapport so that people trust what you're going to say. But you also want to have their interest, so trying to get their attention. Uh, make them care about what it is you're talking about. All of these emotions are essential for the audience to be in a position to want to listen to you mm. and then to act on what you've said. And what role then does personal vulnerability play in being able to generate that um, authentic, authentic connection? I think this is, this is becoming more and more important now uh, in this area where people want to be communicated to as human beings face-to-face. They want to see people in front of them. And I think that vulnerability is one of those things that establishes that rapport and trust. Mm. There is a a lot more uh, impact from having somebody stand up in front of you and tell a personal story and encourage you to go and take some action than pointing someone to a website and asking them to read the reason why they should be doing this. Mm. And uh, so I think that the vulnerability of just appearing, some standing up in front of people, there is a vulnerability in that. There is a vulnerability in being uh, open about why it's important to you. And uh, if we go through the, the cockpit formula, we come to eventually to conversation and the vulnerability of actually listening to people and taking action, admitting you might have been wrong or admitting that you need to change what you've said because people are giving you some response and, and treating that with respect. Mm-hmm. All of those elements uh, involve an element of vulnerability. Okay. So we're, we're going to get back into the cockpit. So I think COC, so we're to K. Yes, and uh, K stands for consistent, quite uh, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> It'll do. <laughs> uh, one of the important things is now that we've, we've realised what our message is, realise that you need to be consistent in your words and action as an individual and as an organisation. Uh, one of the things that always struck me is I was in the Air Force and I uh, left the Air Force after I'd been a commanding officer of a squadron. So my responsibility was for 14 aircraft and about 200 people. And the Air Force, like a lot of organisations, um, and quite rightly, says that people is its most important resource. Yep. But what did we measure every morning was how many aircraft were ready to go flying. 
So that message and that it's more important that we get their number of aircraft in the yeah. morning than we take care of our people, it's, it's a subtle message but it's in the actions. It's never said out loud. That, that can undermine yeah. the words you've said. Sure. So it's not sufficient to have a good message and to say it. You need to make sure that everything that you do and everything that your organisation does in terms of processes and procedures and expectations, culture, they need to support the message. Otherwise, people are not going to pay any attention to it. Mm. How, if you are inconsistent, what are, what are the threats to to your to your person or to your organisation if you lack consistency? Does it mean that you just cannot ever achieve what it is that you want to achieve? I, I don't think it's it's a matter of degrees. Okay. So all of these things would detract from your message. Sure. And there is a fundamental thing about human beings is that if uh, I am carrying a spear in my hand and I tell you I'm not going to hurt you, mm. then you'll, there'll be a bit of a doubt in your mind. Mm. We tend to put more priority on actions and appearances than we do on words. Yeah. And that's always the risk, that the, the actions and the appearances will undermine the message you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Okay, K for consistent, P is for? Persistent in conversation. Okay. So this is where it's not just sufficient to send a message out and make sure your actions are aligned, but you need to then be listening. Uh, I know uh, uh, probably a lot of people have been through that experience where you get a, a survey after you've been to a restaurant or you've been to a hotel or something and you actually had a bad experience and you might write, you know, this was a bad Give experience. Give them a tune-up. And then you hear nothing again. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's not sufficient. It's not sufficient. It's not satisfying as a person when you're you're trying to give feedback. So as leaders and as organisations, we need to be in conversation to effectively communicate with people. So we need to have a way of allowing the people we're working with to have a say and then respond to it. So there's three steps. It's not just listening. It's then doing something afterwards. Mm. And that that continual process, that rolling process, is staying in conversation. And, and you need to do that persistently to actually have the lasting effects that you want from your communication. But interesting in that sort of those feedback loops, you you sometimes see responses which are, you know, incomplete or insincere. So how much, how damaging is it if if your response is not uh, real? Does it have to be, you know, how, how often do you have to be in that feedback loop and, how present do you have to be and how effective do you have to be in, in sincerely giving feedback to somebody? That would depend on how close you are to those people. So if you are in, if you're managing a team, yep. six or ten people, then you, you need to listen to each of those people and then continue that conversation, ask them questions to understand what their feedback is and make sure that you, you understand them. So I'd you'd spend more time and pay more attention to them and do that in face-to-face conversation. When you get to larger scale, where you, you might get those strange responses and they're from people you don't know, then it becomes more a, a matter of making sure that as many people as possible who have given you value feedback know that you've valued it and you've acted on it. So paying attention to the the, the ones that are earnest and and uh, open. And you yeah. obviously can't do that with everybody. Yeah. So you still need to act to let people know that you are listening while you may not let each individual person know that you've acted on their specific responses. Okay. And when you say persistent in conversation, is that to, you know, to be well consistent, K for consistent, um, but is that to be there uh, 
all the time? You know, when you say persistent, does it mean that you are always communicating and you are always engaging with that particular audience and that you need to be consistent in who you are and what you say? You, you need to consist, consistently have a process for getting feedback and acting on it. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're always listening, but you need to have a process so that you continually have periods of listening and acting yeah. and giving some feedback. Mm. So it's again, it's a, it's a, a matter of the size and the, and the relationship, the size of your organisation, organization, the relationship you have with those people. What advice do you have to give people around feedback? Because, you know, there is that famous saying that feedback is a gift, which it often is. But it's also sometimes pretty difficult. You know, it, it's hard for people to seek feedback on what I may have just said or what I may have just done because, you know, naturally we don't like to hear that, oh, you know, actually you want the feedback, here's the feedback and you were terrible or that didn't work or how, how do you encourage people to be better at um, eliciting feedback? Well, this goes back to that C, being conscious of who you are and where you're coming from. Yeah. We need to realise that we're all works in progress where and and we're all, we all have an opportunity to improve and very rarely are people judging us on one particular event or action and, and that's going to harm us forever. So w- there is always an opportunity to improve and the best way to improve is to actually practice and then get some feedback. And if you come to it from that perspective and you are very specific about, I would like feedback, in particular I'm working on this aspect, can you help me with this, you know, how did this come across? Okay. And that can help shape and, yeah, I and like that idea. you learn. Being quite specific then of these are the things I want you to tell me about. Yeah. You and know, that, I'm not that interested in you commenting on my suit, more interested in X, Y, Z. And that makes it, makes it less confronting. Well, it makes it less personal, doesn't it? And it makes it easier for the other person. You say you're okay. a leader. Yeah, that's a good idea. And you're, you're working on your communication skills mm. and you go to your team, you say, I want some feedback on, you know, am I a good communicator? Yeah you'll get half of your team will go, oh, yeah, boss, you're, you're really good. <laughs> and the other half will say, oh, you're terrible. Let me tell you all the ways. Uh, and so if you want to get some valuable feedback, then saying specifically, I'm working my communication skills. I am particular, want to make sure that I'm not being verbose and saying too much and, and going on and on and on. Can you please call me out when I do and just point it out to me? And being specific in that way makes it less threatening for you and it makes it easier for the people you're asking for feedback from. Yeah, certainly good advice. Okay, um, I. I is being invested in relationships. Okay. So considering that communication happens on a, you know, consistently effective communication over time happens through relationships between organisations, between parts of organisations and between people. So you need to invest time in relationships and this may mean spending time doing things that aren't necessarily conveying specific messages backwards and forwards. So it's it's that time. This is more the person to person. I'm actually interested yeah. in you and your welfare. You're not just a unit of labour here to deliver me X Y Z. Yeah. Hmm. So it's genuinely genuinely learning something about other people, hmm. remembering it, bringing it up, sharing a little bit about yourself. So hmm. a bit of that vulnerability, but only after you've learnt something give somebody the opportunity to tell you about them mm. and building that up over time so that that relationship uh, will then support effective communication 
when it's important, when you need to actually get a message across or when you need a specific piece of information, having a relationship make, means that it's more likely that's going to land or you're going to get the information that you need. Mm. So again, what tips would you have for people about that? Because some people would say, and I've heard them say, that's small talk. You know, I don't do small talk. I'm, you know, I'm too busy. I'm whatever. Um, it's not small talk. It's actually the foundations of, as you say, um, effective relationships upon which high performance can be built. And it is being genuine and sincere. But sometimes it's hard. People, you know, don't want to either be vulnerable to themselves or they find it hard to ask people those questions. So what advice might you have to people to, to help them to have those corridor conversations? If you find it difficult with your team or yourself, then come up with a couple of things that you might be able to use as starters or in a meeting, for example, put a specific period of time period, say 15 minutes, and we are going to spend 15 minutes without talking about any of the rest of the agenda items. And we might go around, we'll just ask one question to each person and you might prepare that question such as uh, great ones right now when people are having Zoom meetings is pick one of the objects in the background of your your screen and tell us what – where it came from, why it's important to you and why it's there. Okay. So coming out, it, it, can, yeah, right. it can seem a little forced and che- cheesy, but again, being specific mm. can make it a little bit easier for people to answer that question that still reveals a bit, a bit about themselves and you all share something that's not work-related and you never know, that might spark something in someone else. Two people in your team might suddenly find out they're both um, fanatics in F1 yeah. car racing or something yeah, like that. That's right. So... Uh, coming up with a pre-prepared question and putting aside dedicated time for that social element mm-hmm. I think is, is important, particularly now when we are on that uh, the, the Zoom meeting still in some circumstances. Do you think we'll ever get out of Zoom? Do you think we'll ever come back to um, – you know, obviously I, I, I tend to agree with you that there's a preference for this one. You know, We want to be in front of people because we want to see them, we want to hear them, we want to look at them, we want to you know, be – be a person with them. What's your sort of sense of, of where that is all at, given that we have just spent the last 12 months in front of computer screens and um, not having the ability to be, to be able to sit in front of people? Well, I, I guess I need to caveat what I, what I say in some way is that I, I come from a, a neurotypical, able-bodied, English as a first language, yeah. Western culture, business culture perspective. So the advice that I give works in those circumstances. But there are obviously a wide range of people and and some people actually have difficulty having face-to-face conversations and uh, and for them, mm. being on the other side of a telephone... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's quite useful. Yeah. So I think that a great benefit of what we've just been through is that it has allowed for a lot more flexibility in the way people work mm. and they... But it also has given people, as you say, who have, you know, perhaps don't want to speak up in front of a group in person... When I'm sitting there at home, I'm on a screen, I'm a little, you know, I'm just one square in the corner, I can actually feel a little bit more secure in being able to offer an opinion or a view because I'm equal to everybody else. You know, it sort of, it takes out a lot of that dynamic that is sometimes there when you have larger groups with different personalities, with different seniority. It sort of levels the field a bit. Yeah, and I I think that most organisations have very quickly came up with uh, the ways to allow for people to work remotely and work from home and and have found Mm. that it's actually quite effective. Mm. So I think we'll see blended work and I've 
talking to only, you know, this week meeting with someone who works in one of the government departments, they're still doing sort of everybody's coming in for four days a week, I think. Right. So, so, so Mixing it up. And they don't have enough room, which is another issue with a lot of organisations now. They don't have enough room if everybody was to come back into work right now. Because of the distancing uh, that they need to put in? Uh, not only that, I think that as this has been, you know, from a Canberra perspective, yep. it's a continual problem as government departments always outgrow their, yeah. their buildings. Yeah. So I, I think that organisations are getting used to not having everybody in at the same time and mixing up people turning up in the workplace, sometimes uh, getting his, everybody in a team together in a workplace and other times having some people in and some people at home, I think we'll continue seeing that blended mm. form of working. Mm. So we will see that blended form of communication. There will be people online and people in a meeting room and I see that continuing. So just in terms of that, what are, what's your advice to people around um, being effective in that sort of new realm of, of being online, being on a, on a Zoom call or a Teams call? How do how do you be best, you know, most effective in, in, in that space? In, in general, mm. you want to be as close as you can to face-to-face. So if you can set yourself up so that people can see your whole face and ideally your shoulders and, and your chest, got good light from coming from behind your computer, so facing a window or something like that, and they can hear you clearly, so you have, make sure you have speakers or, or a headset set up so that people can hear you clearly. That's going to make the communication more effective because mm. you're missing out on seeing that person's entire body and, mm. and uh, getting all of the other cues that you would get when you communicate. Mm. Another part that goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of that relationship-building social mm-hmm. element yeah. is now with Zoom it's much easier to – you just – click a button and then you're in the meeting straight away, yep. right on time, yep. and then you get, you drop out of it right at the end. Yep. You don't have that wander into the meeting room, bump into people, hey, how are you going? Yeah. Everybody's standing around and someone says, no, no let's, let's all sit down and get, get on yeah. with it. Yeah. You don't have that time. So I would also say that people who are leading meetings online is make sure you, you don't completely lose that. Mm. Make sure you allow for some of that, mm. that social connection that we have naturally when we're in the office together. Because it is nice, isn't it? It is that nice part of it where you, you are a group of people in a team and where you are just sort of, you know, having a bit of a chat before you sort of get down to business. It's sort of, it's a part of who we are. Yeah. Going back, as you say, going back all those years ago, I'm sure that's thousands and thousands of years ago people used to do that, you know, sit around and have a chat. And again, it's, it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of um, a, a course in uh, um, Indigenous cultures and really understanding the the power and the and and the and the value of um, not just speaking but very much listening and being patient and being you know time has a different sort of uh, uh, resonance and value to indigenous cultures than it does you know we're always so busy aren't we getting the next thing whereas they're a bit like well hang on yeah, this is this this is okay where we are right now. So why don't we stay here for a bit longer and have a bit of a, you know and enjoy it. Um, anyway, the cockpit. We've got one. The T. <laughs> that's the last one. Where? What's T? T is trust building for the long trust. long term. Okay. So all of these things together, yeah. all of these elements working up to building relationships will build trust, and trust really is the key to communication. Okay. Whether it's meeting face-to-face on, with one person or standing up to talk to a group of people or trying to implement a program over time, people need to trust 
that what you're saying is is true, that you have their interests in mind, that you've thought about them, that you actually do care about them and not just your mm. message. Mm. All of those things will actually, in the long term, is what makes communication work. Okay. So I know people are, you know, they're probably halfway through and they're stumbling through and they got to C and they forgot to write down where <laughs> K was or whatever like that. So just to run them through it as they get a hold of their phone and jump onto Evernote or, you know, their moleskin with their, their pen, let's just go through cockpit again. Um, take me through all of them and just maybe just a one-line summary of each of those. Okay. So you'll be a communication ace. <laughs> if. Oh, that's corny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you are conscious, conscious. of yourself. Okay. So what, conscious. Yep. what do you value? What are your principles? What is the position you're starting from? If you are open to the audience, so how do they communicate? How can you connect with them? What, the, what is important to them? If you are considered in your message... So you bring together what it is you want to say with how the audience will receive it. Yep. If you are consistent in your words and action. If you are persistent in conversation. So communication is a loop, it's not a straight line. If you are invested in relationships. And ultimately, you are trust building for the long term. Excellent. I'm in the cockpit, and uh, hopefully, I will be an ace one day. <laughs> you can never get. You, you can always improve, can't you? And I think even if this conversation today, like I'm, I'm in the com, uh, the comms business and has been for you know many years, but it's always conversations like this where you sort of think, oh yeah, maybe I'm, you know, it reinforces things and sort of brings other things open, and you can always. Always get better, can't you? Well, that's another reason to be in conversation is because sometimes your ideas don't make sense until you've said them out loud. Mm. And, in, and sometimes someone will ask that one question that suddenly improves your, your idea immeasurably mm. because you just haven't been outside it. You haven't thought, it from a, thought about it from a different perspective. Mm. Which really comes back to those qualities of um, humility, doesn't it, really, mm. of, you know, that, that sense of being quite genuine and sincere in your pursuit of the essence of whatever it is that you are trying to create and communicate with people, but at the same time also having that, giving that person the gift of your presence and attention, but also then listening very clearly and um, deeply so as that you do understand yeah. um, who they are and, and what they're trying to say to you. So, again, you can move them towards, you know, well, you, you can go together towards higher performance. So, so listen, how, what's the best way that people could get in contact with you to, uh, and how does it work? How do you generally work with people in terms of coaching them? Um, I like the idea of coaches, you know, cause I think it's a great, it's a great way to think about a skill, which is, and this is particularly as you've just yes. articulated, it's a skill that can be improved. So how, how do you go about it? How, how, do, how do people sort of generally work with you? People can work with me one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. So over several months, I'll, I'll work uh, very similar to executive or lead leadership coaching. Yep. But I'll include uh, skills coaching as well. So actually guide people through improving their behaviours and and uh, I might sit in on a meeting, sit in on a meeting that they they attend or, or run or I could listen to them delivering uh, a talk, 
help them with their rehearsals. All of those aspects of communication I'll, I'll work on with people. So what about that? That's the physical. I suppose just something that quickly jumps into my mind is that, is that physical side of communication as well. You know, there's the various forms of communication, but how important is that? Um, I did an interview last last week, I think it was, or the week before, with a an academic from. Um, United States, Barbara Tversky, Professor Barbara Tversky, and she was talking about her research into the importance of gestures and how important gestures are. And gestures are even more important, her research has found, than the, the words that, that you use and that you know, get, being on top of and understanding how you physically support your communication is, is a, critically important. Would you agree? I, I don't agree that gestures are more important. They might be in some circumstances... I, I would say that there's not much point working on body language or thinking about gestures unless you've worked out what your content is and you know it and you believe it. Uh, you need to have that worked out first. Mm. Where body language becomes comes important is if it conflicts with the message or it gives the impression that you don't believe what you're saying. Mm. So it's the it's often the thing that comes later or might be a blocker. If you think about, when I talk to people about how to stand on a stage and talk to others, I ask them to imagine they're Iron Man and they've got a, a glowing light on their chest. Okay. So you're shining your light and you want to shine it on the whole audience. So you're open because you're holding your chest, chest up and you're shining your light on your audience. Mm-hmm. If you imagine that light as your content, you're actually sharing with them something that's a benefit to them. You're giving them a gift. Body language is a thing that will either be out of the way of the light or sometimes it might block the light completely or it might uh, be like gauze okay. and, and shade it. Right. So body language can, for moments, you'll, you'll, your message will drop out mm. or it might become toned down because your body language just gets in the way of your, of your message. So I, I consider that body language is a thing that lets people know that the content you're saying is, is a value and that you believe in it. But you need to have the content first. So how could people get in contact? What's the best way to get in contact with you if people are, are sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, I could really do with some help and assistance uh, from a coach to uh, improve my performance? Again, I think it's true that really it is at the essence of high performance, really. If you can get that communication bit right, you can move people to do what you need them to do in order to achieve whatever that objective is. So yep. how best? Might people get in contact with you? I am active on LinkedIn, so you can find me on on LinkedIn. Active. And what does that mean? <laughs> I, uh, You're there a lot. Yes, I regularly post post stuff on on uh, and respond to stuff on LinkedIn. Yep. So that's the if from a social media perspective, you want to connect with me there. I'm very open to people reaching out to me. Okay. Uh, I have a company website which is understood.net.au, and I have a speaker website which is chrishewitt.com. And my last name is spelled H-U-E-T. Very good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming in today. I have learnt an enormous amount and I, I look forward to uh, – What am I, I think the key things I'm going to take out of that, uh, certainly the cockpit, I'm going to go back and have a good long think about that. Um, but also I, I really like that idea of, you know, 20 minutes 45 and being mindful rather than just rush to rush to rush to rush to rush but to sort of stop – I don't know if I'd sort of go for the two hours on the Friday afternoon because I think probably by then I've forgotten. Yeah. What, you know, what did I learn? I can't remember. <laughs> you know, I've got to rush on to the next thing now. Uh, I've got to rush in, into the weekend. But I think, you know, taking a bit of time at the end of, and just being 
still mindful, careful, write it down, reflect on it, you know, what value, where did it go to, get it done and then move on and then be ready and then probably take a bit more time to get ready for that next engagement. That's, I think, really great tip. So. Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm trying to change the world one one leader at a time. <laughs> one conversation at a time. Well, there you go. You've uh, you've had some effect on me. And I'm sure to you, audience, uh, lots of great value there. As you know, this podcast is all about transferring value uh, from our guests to you so you can be just a little bit better every day in the way that you do your, your work, your important work that you do in helping to explain government policy programs, services and regulations. And I'm sure there's so much value in Chris has given us today uh, that will help you to be uh, more effective in the way that you deliver that value uh, for the citizens of whichever country it is that you are in today. So thank you for coming back once again. I am delighted that you would do that. Uh, but we'll be back at the same time in two weeks with another edition of the GovComs podcast, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.